0: What is going on everybody welcome into another episode of the hangout in the holy land the official podcast of land grant be sure to find the show at soundcloud.com slash land holy land and subscribe to the show by going on to apple Podcasts and searching the hangout in the holy land my name is colton denning and i am your host coming to you on sunday november 26th 2017 and boy We have a lot to talk about on today's show. Yesterday, Ohio State goes into Ann Arbor and records one of the more memorable victories over Michigan. Not only a recent memory, but I would say in modern series history. This is a crazy-ass game, and so to break it down and to try to piece together everything that happened... I am joined by my usual co-host for these recap podcasts, and his name is Patrick Mayhorn. Patrick, I'm still emotionally shot, man. I don't even know where to start with today's podcast. Yeah,
1: I feel like I have whiplash. Like, that game was so chaotic, and pair it with, you know, number two, Miami goes down on Friday, number one, Alabama goes down on Saturday, and it feels like just, you know, the Alabama game felt like an afterthought at that point. It's just... It was such a chaotic week of college football. There's still a week left. There's still so many questions, and it was just. I, I think that this game was kind of the the perfect encapsulation of the way that this season has gone in college football as a whole. With how just silly it was at times. It was back and forth, and you know we had injuries, we had camera issues, we had all kinds of things, and it was just it was just pure chaos.
0: Yeah, it was. And speaking of chaos, something that we learned after the game. That was like maybe the weirdest story to ever come out of not only any Ohio State Michigan game, but in any Ohio State game I can remember. JT Barrett, of course, went out in the third quarter with a knee injury, and we all thought it was just, oh, he got hit. Again, it was his meniscus. The announcer said he's been popping his meniscus back into place for a while, which it sounds absolutely (laughs) terrible. I've I've never heard of that. I don't know if that's actually a thing, but after the game, Urban Meyer went off and said that before the game, a a cameraman of some sort either hit JT or ran into JT Barrett in the post game. If you haven't seen the video yet, got up and tried to like explain it and, and how it happened. It was just all sorts of weird. And, we really haven't heard any sort of update. Urban Meyer said he wants an investigation into it, so who knows where this thing goes, but just so many crazy things happen, and we'll get to the actual injury and Dwayne Haskins coming in as we continue to break down this game, but the the best place to start is probably just from the start, and one of the things that has been evident in these games that Ohio State has either lost lately or— or have been close has been the way that they've started the game. And they held Michigan to a 3-and-out, but then went 3-and-out themselves. And we'll kick it off with the offense here. First quarter offense, man, (sighs) it it looked like it was going to be one of those days because they just could not figure it out. And I don't know if you can really pinpoint one thing, whether, whether it was the players, the play calling, or... I, I don't even know, but just everything across the board was bad to start the game offensively
1: yeah and i I think that you know players it's it's hard to say with with execution and stuff because we don't know what the exact play call is or what the play called for. but in the first quarter the play calling was absolutely horrendous like that was that was obvious um I think Ohio State ran something like eight plays in the first quarter and what felt like you know, 20 from Michigan It felt like Michigan had the ball the entire quarter. And when Ohio State did have the ball, it assist the the the, the possessions assistantly assistantly uh, essentially, jeez, <laughs> consisted of you know a jet sweep on first down, a, a JT Barrett run on second down, and then they go empty set and J T Barrett throws an incompletion on third down. It was just. It was unbelievably bad, and they just kept doing it every single time they got the ball. Um, I think there was one running back carry in the entire first quarter, uh, negative eight yards to finish the first quarter total. Uh, They figured it out in the second quarter and as the game went on, even with some conservative play calling. But just that first quarter was absolutely horrendous, and it felt like they were going to get blown out.
0: Yeah, and it, it wasn't just limited to the offense either, because after that three and out, they were outscored in the first quarter, 14 to nothing, and they were significantly outplayed in that first quarter, not only offensively and defensively, but also into special teams, which which we'll talk about too. But defensively, and I can't believe we've gone almost five minutes without mentioning uh, this, John O'Corn may be the MVP for Ohio State in this game. Because, man, Michigan's offense and their coaches, for as much flack as they've gotten, and I think a lot of it has been deserved with how they've game-planned this season, they had a really great game plan, and they took advantage of Ohio State's weaknesses. And I I think that this was just another instance for Ohio State defensively of one of those days where if Ohio State's defensive line isn't doing everything, then the linebackers in the secondary, especially early on, just could not provide them any backup. The linebackers had a really rough start to this game, and Michigan took advantage of it.
1: Yeah, the linebackers in this game, especially early on, were just painfully bad. It was it was obvious that they were not good enough to cover much of anybody. Their pursuit angles were horrible. It felt like Michigan kept converting on third down because of poor linebacker play, and... I mean, I think if anybody else was at quarterback for Michigan, you know, Brandon Peters or even a guy like Wilton Spate, I think if either of those guys were there, this would not have been an Ohio State win just because – the the coverage was not there. Michigan's receivers were open pretty much every play. It was just Ohio State seemingly continuously got lucky with, you know, John O'Corn missing over guys' heads or throwing out of bounds or basically just being Joe Bowserman. I mean it was it was bad. It was bad football.
0: Yeah, that's the first thing that came to mind too was like this is Michigan's version of the Joe Bowserman game and he made a couple of what was more even more frustrating was that he made like one or two really awesome throws like NFL level throws and then there was like those five or six that were just like man I I could do that I could overthrow <laughs> dudes like that out on the field so there was at that point where it was 14 to nothing and then in the second quarter Ohio State t- started to turn things around we started to see J.K. Dobbins get more involved he ripped off a a couple of really nice runs Uh, the passing game was basically non-existent and we, we saw that for as much flack as the coaches and J.T. Barrett get J.T. Barrett was basically the only thing that was happening with the offense until J.K. Dobbins started to get going he made a couple of really nice runs and broke a couple of tackles on a third down play to keep the drive going but, but even then, it, it got to a point where it was maybe, in my opinion, the most important play of the game. We'll, we'll talk about the Austin Mack play later on, but uh, with, I think, wh- when, when was it? It was about nine minutes left in the second quarter, and Ohio State driving inside the red zone, and they had a second and four, and Barrett... Dropped back to pass. He had a lot of time to throw. Couldn't find anybody. And threw a ball just right to Michigan defensive back Josh Metellus that went right through his hands and dropped it. And to me, that was kind of the play that kept Ohio State in this game. And it's hard to say that they don't come back if Michigan picks that ball off. But man, things are looking pretty bleak if, if Michigan picks that off because Ohio State gets a false start penalty I believe or a delay a game and Barrett has to scramble on a third nine to get a touchdown it was just a, a complete jumbled mess
1: yeah I that was that was a point of the game where like obviously not during the game I was thinking about this because during the game I was pretty much just you know pure stress but after the game like looking back at that moment that did feel like kind of the turning point because I think if he does, you know if that if that pass is intercepted, that that's probably the end of the game. Um, Michigan had, they would have had all the momentum. Uh, I'm absolutely not confident that Ohio State's defense would have been able to get a stop there with how they had been playing and it it, it feels like ohio state would have probably gone entirely away from the pass and to probably exclusively you know quarterback runs like we saw against michigan state last season or you know like we've seen so many times in big games and i think that you know scoring on that possession led almost entirely by jt barrett uh that was really crucial for the comeback and Really crucial for the team's confidence and momentum and all that stuff. So if, if that ball had been intercepted, I think Ohio State probably would have lost this game.
0: And like I said, that whole sequence was a mess. They ran Barrett on first down for six yards. And they had K.J. Hill in the backfield and J.K. Dobbins spread out wide on that near interception for some reason. Then on the third and four, they took a delay of game, which... I don't think was is just limited to this game. It, it was the same for Iowa, and even some of the home games they've been playing too, where it seems like they have a lot of trouble getting plays in in, in some of these spots, especially when they get down into the red zone on the on the touchdown to Marcus Baugh that tied the game at fourteen. Urban Meyer was ready to call a timeout. They were about to ax that play and they got it off with one second left. So it seemed like even when things were working, that it was just kind of a jumbled mess for them offensively.
1: Yeah, this was kind of uh, one of the, you know, many, I, I feel like uh, examples of Ohio state kind of winning in spite of themselves and, you know, can't, not really being able to get out of their own way, but still figuring out a way to, to win games because of how talented they are. And it just it felt like penalty after penalty after silly mistake and you know being in a good situation and getting a delay a game or getting a false start or just not being able to get it out of your own way and that that marcus ball touchdown pass was a really good example because they very nearly as you mentioned that very near very nearly did not happen and it just the entire game felt like that it, it felt like Ohio State kind of getting in their own way and kind of giving Michigan more of a chance than Michigan probably needed. I, I don't think that this is a, a particularly potent Michigan team. Their defense is obviously very good. But giving up, you know, uh, 20 points and very nearly losing this game at multiple points, you know, like we mentioned the interception, there you know, Michigan had a chance to win on that last drive before John O'Corn threw probably the worst pass I've ever seen. Just just awful. Um, but it just it just felt like Ohio State kept not wanting to win this game and kind of had to win in spite of
0: themselves. Ohio State wasn't able to record their first first down of the game until 1350 Ugh. left in the second quarter. God. That's that's how bad it was. That is how ugly it was. And before we move to the to the second half and some of the adjustments Ohio State made, we'd be remiss to not bring up the fact that a year after the spot call before the end of the first half, John O'Corn scrambles and runs out of bounds and steps out. And he absolutely got that first down. Like there is <laughs> <Yep>. no <laughs> doubt in my mind that that was a first down and they marked him short. Um, a lot of Michigan fans, I'm, I'm sure there's some listeners out here that have either gone on the like M go blog or our buddies from SB nation maize and brew, which is always, those guys are really good. But, man, that, that was a bad call. I, I thought the officiating in general was okay. The The one thing that stood out to me was they really let the defenders jostle on, on both sides. And they called a couple of holdings on Michigan. And they didn't infamously call that one on Denzel Ward where he grabbed Donovan Peoples-Jones and pulled his jersey. But uh, if you looked at the Michigan secondary, too, there was guys getting away with a lot of stuff. So they let them play physical. But um, that one call on the spot, it was bad for Michigan, but once again, it was very good for Ohio State. Yeah,
1: the spot was extremely good, and every spot um, from here on out is good unless it's bad. That's the rules. If the spot is bad, then it's bad, but most spots will be good. That's <laughs> – um, no, it was – it's always funny after you know games against Michigan or games when Michigan loses, not even the game, just games in general, to see the general reaction from their fan base just because – I think that they're probably the most, you know, privy to yelling about refs immediately after or even during a game. Um, I don't I don't really know where that comes from, but it, it just it seems like every time they lose it's because the Big Ten hates them or because, you know, the refs are from Ohio and just things like that. It's just every single time and it, it's funny every single time, without fail. It I mean like, I saw someone call it, I, I can't remember what they, I think they called the, the referees not you know, calling the game fairly a civil rights violation or <laughs> something like that. It was just, uh, it was unbelievably, you know, just goofy and out of, you know, from from pretty much from nothing, just trying to find excuses for, you know, why you couldn't win the game when you have John O'Corn at quarterback. That seems like maybe the first thing to, to think of, but it, it's always it's always a delight to do that. So I, I would recommend anyone go check out some, some Michigan boards because I'm sure that they're like calling for Urban Meyer to be beheaded or something.
0: Yeah, Michigan fans are eating each other alive right now. <laughs> and... Yeah, like the one – why would the Big Ten – like if they picked one school that they wouldn't want to be down, I guess, other than Ohio State, like why would they ever want things to go against Michigan if there was a big-time conspiracy? Yeah, the Big Ten's Bell Cow, Maryland. <laughs> right? It, moving into the, the second half where things kind of changed, even though Ohio State fell down 20-14, to the defense started to make a couple of more adjustments. The offense started to run the ball really well. We saw – that JT Barrett went out with six minutes left in the third down 20 to 14. When Barrett went out, what were your thoughts? Were you thinking, okay, this is it because last week when Dwayne Haskins came into the game and fumbled, Meyer pulled him and put put the starters back in and a big talking point was well what if Dwayne Haskins have, has to come into the game next week like how is that going to affect his confidence and you and I talked about how whether it was him or, or Joe Burrow if they had to play in this sort of game that we didn't think things would go well and Dwayne Haskins he made us look like assholes because he <laughs> looked very good but when it happened I thought like oh man like this is not good and this is setting up to be to get out of control yeah
1: when it happened my my initial thought was and this was not entirely wrong he just you know he played above it and we we talked about ohio state not really being able to get out of their own way but my initial thought was uh uh-oh they're gonna run the read option 20 times and he's absolutely not going to know how to do it and they're gonna lose and they ran the read option he did carry a few times he he carried a couple times and looked really funny doing it but (laughs) Um, they still ran the read option 20 times, but it didn't matter just because, hey, Mike Weber and J.K. Dobbins are really good running backs. And seems like maybe getting those guys the ball was the best possible game plan and will always be. But it was just like... I, I thought that the play calling would be really dumb and it, it wouldn't fit him. They weren't going to let him throw, and they really didn't for the most part they they played conservative, which is fine just because you know they they didn't want turnovers. They didn't want him to get rattled. they just they knew that they had their running backs to trust. and while I don't love that they did it with read options, I think that it worked. obviously, they won the game. but um he he played really well. He didn't just you know not make mistakes. He did exactly what was asked of him. He completed tough passes. Including, I mean, just an incredible throw on third and 13 after two false starts to Austin Mack. And I have no idea how Austin Mack caught that ball. But he had some really nice throws, had a completion to KJ Hill, um, nearly had a touchdown run. It was just, it was an extremely impressive performance from him. And he really did not look, you know, nervous or rattled at all. He looked like he was ready for it.
0: Yeah, KJ Hill stepped up big time in the, the biggest play of the game in the, in the second half. And the one that everybody's talking about was the third and 13 throw to Austin Mack, where not only an awesome throw by Dwayne Haskins, but an incredible catch by Mack. And he takes the contact, hangs on to the ball, and Ohio State goes on and takes the lead eventually on that drive. But there was even some of those problems that popped up earlier that popped up again on that drive because there were two false starts that set up that third and 13 play to Mack. And Mack, to his credit, he also drew a holding penalty earlier in that drive on a third down, which extended the drive. So shout out to Austin Mack, not only for that play, but he made a couple of other smaller plays that ended up having a big effect on the uh, game. But once they were able to get the lead, I, I think that that obviously gave confidence to not only... Dwayne Haskins, but probably the coaches as well in terms of what they were comfortable calling, what they were going to run on third down because it seemed like they stuck to what Dwayne Haskins did and I don't want to turn this into should Dwayne Haskins be the starter over JT Barrett <laughs> no but I, I, I there were there were areas that I think Haskins and there are areas that Haskins is better than Barrett at and one of those was on those two third down completions to KJ Hill he stood in the pocket and one of them he ran out of the pocket and he kind of waited for things to develop and went through his reads and was able to hit Hill and hit him in stride too and lead him for those big gains. So I was really impressed with the way that Haskins played and just some of the intricacies of his game. And the coaches, I think, used him to his strengths and it showed.
1: Yeah, I just, there were some play calls for him that I really liked. There was one where uh, I, I remember this one specifically. He rolled out. To probably the left, um, and then he, it was like a counter rollout. He, he went back to the right, and he had J.K. Dobbins wide open. I think it was J.K. Dobbins, and uh, it was you know it was a really nice play. It was really well designed. It, it worked well, and it just it kind of made me wonder why they don't call that for J.T. Barrett or you know all all that stuff. But he he certainly has a better arm. That's never really been you know, a question. He's, he's a better passer. That's the way it is. And, you know, that doesn't mean that he should be the starter and he will not be the starter if JT Barrett's healthy, which is correct because, you know, JT Barrett's a better quarterback, but Dwayne Haskins showed what this offense can be, you know, to an extent, obviously they were very conservative. They really didn't let him loose, but I think he showed what this offense can be with a quarterback who's, you know, got a little bit of a stronger arm and is a little bit more willing to, to throw a ball into tight spaces. And that the the tight spaces thing and, and having to make those throws is another discussion involving, you know, zone six, as Zach Smith lovingly calls them, and Zach Smith as a whole. And, you know, the fact that there were you know, three receivers who caught passes, but <laughs> just I, I think he looked really, really good for a redshirt freshman. And he, he showed that you know, if Ohio State has receivers who can consistently get open and call plays that allow a quarterback to go out and, you know, make big throws, that is, you know, that can be successful. That can open up the running game for J.K. Dobbins or for Mike Weber. And that, you know, Dwayne Haskins is capable of running this offense, even though he's not the traditional Urban
0: Meyer quarterback. what do you think of the defense in the second half? Because they only give up the one touchdown. They blocked the PAT and kept it to a 20 to 14 game and then didn't give up any points for the rest of the game. But, I never felt completely confident that they were going to be able to seal the game because whenever there was a play that was made other than Sam Hubbard made a couple of really nice plays, got some penetration. There were a couple of defensive linemen that were able to get into the backfield and disrupt stuff. I never felt like the secondary or the linebackers were able to seal the game. And before people yell at me, like, oh, well, Jordan Fuller had an interception, he didn't seal that game. John O'Corn sealed that game for Ohio State.
1: Yeah, I. I it, it's just, it's kind of the same thing that it's been all season. And obviously, the defense was significantly better in the second half, largely in part two you know a great performance from the defensive line specifically Sam Hubbard um, Nick Bosa had a really good game Draymond Jones Michael Hill had a sack um it was it was a great performance from them especially in the second half but outside of you know Denzel Ward there's really not much in you know the back group you know the linebackers the defensive backs there's not much there that I can consistently feel like you know is going to make a play or isn't going to get beat Uh, Jerome Baker did not have a good game. Tuff Boland did not have a very good game. Chris Worley did not have a good game. Damon Damon Arnett, it felt like he was consistently getting beat. Um, Jordan Fuller did have the pick, but he didn't do a ton. Michigan doesn't really pick on safeties a ton. Same with Eric Smith, um, you know, just in general. But it just, it felt like the same thing with the linebackers, where they really weren't covering tight ends and, the the coverage wasn't very good. They were taking bad angles, and it came down to just a better quarterback probably would have beaten them because John O'Korn was missing wide open receivers for the entire game, and it was you know the miss at the end of the game that sealed it, as you said. And just I, I think it's fair to not really trust the defense at the end of that game because it, it felt like the way that the game was going, Michigan was going to drive down, they were going to use all the clock, and then score a touchdown to win the game because. That's kind of what teams have done against Ohio State when they need to get points. Teams have been able to get points by throwing to the tight end, by running the ball right up the middle, even when you know it's coming, or throwing screens, and Ohio State just has not taken good you know, angles or covered well to stop that. And, it feels silly to say about a defense that's really good. And I know this defense is really good, but it's just, it, it felt like the same thing that we've seen all season from them.
0: It felt very Iowa-ish yeah. <laughs> for a, a lot of the game. And it, it would have felt more, I think to your point, if O'Corn would have hit those passes, because there was a sequence that stood out to me later in the game when it was 24 to 20 and Michigan drove the ball down the field. They were inside the 40 and they had a second and one. And that was the play where John O'Corn, they were, in the uh, I formation and they had a pulling guard and he either tripped on the guard or tripped on his feet and lost like three or four yards and made it third and four and that was the next play where jerome baker you brought him up finally finally i don't want to rip on him but he finally made a play because he he was awful in this game like for the most part he tipped a pass and broke it up on a play where I don't know who the Michigan receiver was, but uh, he was running a slant and Damon Arnett was on him. And that pass looked like it was going to go through. And if it did go through, it was at the very least a 20 to 25 yard gain, if not a touchdown, because Arnett got beat pretty bad. So Baker making that play was huge. And then on a fourth and four, uh, O'Corn had so much time to throw. And Chris Evans was wide open over the middle of the field. And they overthrew him by about two feet and, it just kind of always felt like man he's he is the reason that ohio state is winning this game and that the defense is getting off the field if it weren't for some of the plays that the defensive line was making as well
1: yeah and you mentioned that you know it was probably largely in part of john o'corn's inability to complete passes that ohio state had so much success defensively especially in the second half and you know, not to look too far ahead or anything to the Big Ten championship game, but Alex Hornibrook is the exact same quarterback.
0: I think he's a. I think he's a little bit better. He's a little more accurate. I think he's a little more
1: accurate, but it's essentially just you're rolling the dice. He might complete it. Yeah. He might throw it out of bounds. You you really, you don't know. And you know, I think Wisconsin's a better team than Michigan. Obviously, Wisconsin didn't have much you know issue in beating Michigan, but it just it's going to be another one of those games and Ohio State really has not proven that they can cover across the middle or that they can cover tight ends or that they even really know what a screen is um, or that when you know the other team has four fullbacks in the backfield they still don't seem to think that they need to stuff the line it's just little things like that that, that add up and let teams that probably shouldn't gash them consistently you know do just that and Michigan was able to have long sustained drives because Ohio State didn't seem to know what Michigan was and that lack of preparation has been all too common this season.
0: One of the other final plays of this game that that stood out to me and this game would have had or this podcast and talk about this game from the Ohio State side, would have had a much different complexion, and we would be looking back at this a lot differently, was after the second long third down conversion to KJ Hill, Ohio State ran a couple of running plays on first and second down and had third and one at maybe I guess the Michigan twenty-five with three thirty-three left, and they handed the ball off to Mike Weber. He lost three, and then Sean Nuremberger missed the second forty four yard field goal and kept it to 24-20 in the next play O'Korn threw the interception to Fuller but if Michigan comes back and wins this game that's probably the play that we're talking about some people said it was a bad read by Haskins that he should have kept that why were they running laterally with Mike Weber but regardless thank God we're not having to talk (laughs) about that play and that tense because that that was the one where if they get a first down there for all intents and purposes even if they kick a field goal they probably ice the game because there's a minute left when Michigan gets the ball. So that that's the one play I look back on that if Ohio State lost, we would be talking about that a, a lot differently than we are today.
1: Yeah, and the, even during the game and as that, that missed kick happened, it just felt like, you know, I touched on this earlier. It just felt like Michigan was going to drive down and win. It, it felt so fitting. And it, it felt like the Michigan State loss you know, it, last year. It felt like all these different times, or the Michigan State loss two years ago, and just it felt like all of the Ohio State losses under the Urban Meyer era. It, it was just like that, and the missed read would have been certainly something to harp on. And even if that wasn't a read play, which you know we we don't know. There's there's no way to really know that unless someone involved in the play says that it was or wasn't, which doesn't matter now. But it it was things like that for the entire game that kept Michigan in the game. It was, you know, missed opportunities, missed reads, weird play calls on third and one, you know, giving Mike Weber the ball to run laterally, just things like that. And Ohio State still managed to win in spite of it, thanks in large part to a, a very helpful contribution from John O'Corn. But it was just... It's weird to see Ohio State kind of win a game that they definitely should have lost. And I I think that I'm going to continue to feel like Ohio State probably should have lost this game because they didn't play particularly well. Dwayne Haskins was good. Um, J.K. Dobbins was good. Mike Weber was solid. But the defense was not very good. The wide receivers were awful. The linebackers were awful. It was just Michigan wasn't good enough to take advantage.
0: And I I think that that's a fair take to have I don't know if I agree that they should have lost the game because I don't think Michigan should get credit for (laughs) no one deserves to win this game (laughs) yeah because if you if you put out a a quarterback like that and I understand that their top two were injured but John O'Korn was in the mix to be a starter for them early in the season and I think even started at least a game or two at some point started the Michigan State game like that's that's Michigan's coaches are I think are, are just as much at fault despite having the great game plan that they did in managing to lose a fourteen nothing lead that they had because they probably should have won this game but I I also think it says something about Ohio State's resiliency and, and something that we haven't seen a lot from them other than the uh, the Penn State game when they also came back from a fourteen nothing deficit that they were able to fight back and from getting completely outplayed in the first quarter I think at the very least play Michigan even, if not outplay them by a little bit for the for the last three quarters. But after that John O'Corn interception, J.K. Dobbins had the big thirty-five yard run and uh, another six yard run to set up Mike Weber's ceiling touchdown, which ultimately made it thirty one to twenty. And that that was finally at the point where you're like, okay, you can breathe a little bit because this is this is an eleven point game. This one's over, but the the fact that they were able to seal the game like that with the run when Michigan knows like they're loading up the box, they know what's coming and that you can rely on a freshman and JK Dobbins to pick up a run like that with a freshman quarterback in there as well and to have Mike Weber seal it i think it it has to show the coaching staff like when the game is on the line these are your guys and maybe The Barrett injury, because, like, folks, he's going to start against Wisconsin. Like, if his knee's healthy to go, you want to save your Dwayne Haskins should start takes because it's not going to happen. Even with Barrett playing... This has to be a reminder to them that, hey, these guys can do it, Like, and they should do it. They should be the guys to close out the game.
1: Yeah, and you you touched on it, and I think that the number one thing to take away from this game is the resiliency. I mean, with a redshirt freshman, at quarterback, with, you know, Jamarco Jones was not at full health. He was injured earlier on in the game. Um, it was just... Demetrius Knox was was injured at one point in the game too. It just it felt like everything that could have gone wrong went wrong, and Ohio State still won with a very young quarterback who was not their traditional leader, and that's impressive. That's impressive whenever you can do it, and it doesn't happen very often. And it, it's it's a good win. This is. You know, every time you beat Michigan, that's a great win. And even if this is not a, a great Michigan team, Ohio State overcom- overcame a ton to win this game, even if a lot of those obstacles were, you know, put down by Ohio State. If, if You know, even if Ohio State really couldn't get out of their own way, they still managed to win the game. And that's impressive, even if the defense wasn't particularly good, even if the offense was stagnant at times. It's just, it's it's hard to be too upset when Ohio State beats Michigan. And, you know, obviously I, I it's, it's hard to not look ahead and think, is this team going to find a way to sneak into the playoff? What will happen in a bowl game? What will happen in the conference championship game? But I think not enough people are taking time to appreciate that Ohio State has beat Michigan 15 of the last 17 times that they have played. And, you know, they've been completely dominant in the entire, you know, since the 2000s, since the early 2000s, and after the the decade of just disaster that was the John Cooper era, that's really good. That's really good news for Ohio State, and that's it. I think it's it's easy to kind of overlook that and kind of get used to it, but every time Ohio State, every time Ohio State beats Michigan, it's it's a great win, and you know, oh, I, this is this, it's a great season when you beat Michigan and Ohio State. Really, I think, should be proud of this win.
0: Yeah, they seal another double-digit win season. Six straight wins over Michigan. Urban Meyer still hasn't lost to them. They're 3-0 in Ann Arbor. And like you're saying, there, there's never a bad win against Michigan because we've seen worse Michigan teams against almost just as good, if not better, Ohio State teams either lose this game or or the game be really, really, really close. We saw it in 2013. Even the 2014 game was really close until the end when Darren Lee had that kind of garbage time fumble recovery for a touchdown. So if people are worried that, oh, Michigan keeps playing them close every year, that that's what this rivalry game is, that no matter what, both of these teams are, are going to play up to it and you're going to have games like this. And I think it says a lot about Ohio State's program that the last two years – they've played really sloppy in this game, but in the end they've found ways to win the game. And I think that there is some sort of mental advantage that they have over Michigan right now. I don't know how tangible it is or how to quantify it, but I think that it's there. And until Michigan proves that they can beat them, You're going to have to assume heading into next year when Ohio State plays them at home that they're going to make it seven in a row. And when you come in with a new quarterback and Dwayne Haskins, we've already seen what he can do against Michigan. So even if Ohio State doesn't end up making the playoff, and this is something we could say for a later podcast here in a a couple weeks, um, just overall, it's hard not to be happy with the way this season shook out the Iowa loss continues to be confounding and probably is going to end up as one of the most confounding losses in modern college (laughs) football history, but 10 and two with the big 10 championship, on the line in another win against Michigan. That's pretty damn good.
1: Yeah, I, I mean, I it's it's hard to complain about that, and I'm not going to. Ten and two is great, and uh, you know, a chance to win the Big Ten title is great. And you know, no matter what happens in the postseason after that Big Ten championship appearance, if they even win the Big Ten championship, I think I'll be happy with because we got to see J T. Barrett, you know, play his his final year. We got to see one of the best quarterbacks, if not the best quarterback in Ohio State history. Um, and a just an incredible collection of talent, uh, both on the you know in the players and in the coaching staff, and it's just it's hard to not be you know happy about that. And even if this season feels like a disappointment for some people, and the Iowa loss, as you mentioned, just absolutely nonsensical. I I still I don't think that that one will ever make sense, but just. It, you know, this team was fun to watch. Uh, I mean, there was a lot of blowouts this year, and Ohio State was consistently good for, you know, eight games. They, they completely blew out their opponent, and that's that's rare. Not many teams can do that. Most teams don't win eight games. It's just... You know, I think this was a fun season, and no matter what happens in the Big Ten championship game or in the playoff or you know, whatever bowl game Ohio State ends up in, I, th- I think
0: I'm happy with this season. Is there any other minutiae that you want to cover from the Michigan game? Because, like, I'm sorry, folks, we're just not going to be able to hit everything. I'm sure we, we missed a ton because there was just so much that happened in this game. But the only other couple of things that, that stood out to me were from the Michigan side, and that was running back Chris Evans is... Really electric. Yeah, he's, he's he's special for Michigan. And then Rashawn Gary, like I am ready for his ass <laughs> to get off to the NFL. And I tweeted it from the Land Grant account last night that he was pretty terrifying. And there were a couple people that were like, "Oh, this is the only time he's ever shown <laughs> up." You know, he he hasn't been that good this year. And it was like, yeah, get what, get the fuck they... out of here. Like he's a great he's a great player, and he's everything that he was touted to be coming out of high school. I think he had. 10 tackles in this game, at least three tackles for loss. And even the plays where they weren't making tackles for loss him, chase Winovich and Maurice Hurst, like ultimate respect to, uh, to the Michigan defensive line and the Michigan front, because those guys are terrifying and very good. And I hope that Don Brown gets a head coach job somewhere (laughs) away from the, um, the big 10 immediately, because that is a, uh, that's a very strong defense that Michigan fields. But other than that, I don't really have anything other than just another uh another awesome win and now michigan has more regular season conference losses this year than ohio state has in urban myers six years so <laughs> that's something you can take to all your michigan friends and uh and let them let them know remind them of that fact yeah the
1: the only real other thing that i have is um Michigan went eight and four and when you flip eight and four it's four and eight, Notre Dame went four and eight last year. No one should ever forget that. Shout out to Matt.
0: No, nobody <laughs> nobody should ever forget that. Um last thing here, because we have to we have to preview the Wisconsin game a little bit and we talked about it just just a small amount in, in this podcast. And why we aren't going to talk playoffs here, not only because we're we're not recording this when we know what the new playoff rankings are but this is a hot topic now that alabama has lost should a conference championship winning ohio state team get into the playoff over alabama who hasn't won their even their division let alone their conference and we saw this happen with ohio state last year and like i'm just going to disregard any of that because comparing this year's playoffs to any of the years prior i, I don't yeah. think is fair because they're all they're all different well, and years no one is you, you good this say,
1: year like there's no good teams.
0: <laughs> you can't say, well, because the committee did this one year, they should do it again this year, no matter what their decision is in the end, because it's two different years. The, the context is different. But just for the people assuming the playoff talk in general, and this is something we touched on how much Michigan's offense reminded us of Iowa. Like, if you want to talk about an Iowa offense on steroids, that's Wisconsin. And with all of the defensive problems Ohio State has had against these type of offenses, like, if you're one of those people that just assume and and want to talk about the playoffs already, like... I don't know how comfortable I feel that Ohio State is even going to win this game against Wisconsin with the way that their defense is playing, and I guess it goes back to the conversation you and I had about how comfortable are you or how worried are you that Alex Hornibrook can make throws when he needs to, and and that's definitely fair, but when you look at a running back like Jonathan Taylor and a tight end and Troy Fumagalli that Wisconsin has, they're going to do the the same things Michigan did they're gonna do the same things that Iowa did and they're better than both of those offenses so like if you're just assuming playoffs right now Ohio State still gotta win another game on Saturday and the team they're playing does a lot of things that Ohio State isn't good at stopping
1: yeah and the thing that I keep kind of going back on is that you know while Michigan and Iowa gave Ohio State so many problems with that offense Michigan State runs a similar offense, and Ohio State, like, dis- like they they ended the program. Like, Michigan State doesn't play football anymore because Ohio State beat them so badly. It, it's just, this team is so hit or miss, and I have no clue which version is going to show up. Because Brian Lewerke is a good quarterback. Michigan State's a good team, and they looked completely incompetent running you know, a pretty similar offense. And, you know, Wisconsin's obviously better than Michigan State. Wisconsin's, you know in the top two in the Big Ten obviously they're in the championship game and it's just it it could go either way and I really I don't know exactly what to expect from this game I you really can't say until the game happens and I think it should be a fun game I'm looking forward to it I'm looking forward to all the games this upcoming weekend it's going to be chaotic and you know stupid and fun and college football and you know, even if Ohio State doesn't win, it'll still be fun to watch bowl games. It'll still be fun to watch the playoff, and you know, I, I think that you know, people kind of get caught up in the moment and, you know, if Ohio State doesn't beat Wisconsin, it's not the end of the world. And that's kind of the way that I'm going into it.
0: Yeah, completely agreed. And we're going to have a ton of analysis on the website. So make sure to visit landgrantholyland.com. Also follow us on Twitter at LandGrant33. You can follow me on Twitter at DubsCo. We're going to have at least one podcast previewing the Wisconsin game hopefully we'll be able to talk with our buddies from Bucky's fifth quarter and get you an in-depth preview on what to expect from Wisconsin since Ohio State hasn't played them yet this year so keep your podcast feed open subscribe to the show by going to Apple Podcasts, searching the hangout in the Holy Land and go to soundcloud.com slash land grant Holy Land you can find the show there as well Patrick where can people interact with you
1: people can talk to me find me on Twitter at Patrick underscore mayhorn spelled how it sounds um i've got coaching rumor takes right now and coaching rumors in general like it's my job because it is uh so if that's something that they're interested in well let's talk uh willie fritz let's talk all that stuff
0: it'll be fun greg (laughs) shiano baby like we gotta sneak we gotta sneak that in as a as of now when we are recording this greg shiano is reportedly the top candidate for the tennessee job post-production hangout in the holy land update here. Greg Schiano did, in fact, get the Tennessee job after we stopped recording. And Tennessee fans, administrators, even local elected officials in the state of Tennessee were so incensed that the university backed out of their agreement. And Greg Shiano will still be at Ohio State. So if you didn't know already, there is your update. Greg Schiano still at Ohio State, not the head coach of Tennessee. Now, back to the hangout in the Holy Land. We may be talking about Ohio State defensive coordinator Todd Graham. Woo! <laughs> or somebody else who knows. Ohio State defensive
1: coordinator Brady Hoke.
0: Oh, God. Oh, God. <laughs> I, we, ha- we have to end the show on that. A lot going on this week, not only for Ohio State, but college football in general. Coaching rumors. We have the early signing period coming up in less than a month, so always keep it locked onto LandGrantHolyLand.com. And for whatever you need audio-wise, stay tuned to the Hangout in the Holy Land podcast right here. We want to thank you guys for listening, and until next time, for Patrick Mayhorn, I'm Colton Denning. This has been the Hangout in the Holy Land, and go Bucks!